If you've been waiting for the government to fulfill its promises to fix the ludicrous pensions tax situation that's driving many doctors to retire or reduce hours to avoid punitive pensions charges, the good news is the wait is over as the Department of Health has published its proposed solutions to a situation that the former Health Secretary and now Chancellor Jeremy Hunt described as crazy not to fix. Even more good news, the government's proposed solutions claim that they will enable staff to work more flexibly up to and beyond retirement age and protect them from excessively high tax charges. So what's the bad news? Well, in today's episode, we break down the many issues with this government proposal. And spoiler, if you've been waiting for the pensions tax situation to be resolved, you're probably going to be disappointed. Towards the end, we'll tell you exactly what you need to do about this and whether that is for an early career doctor, a mid-career doctor, or approaching retirement. I've also put some links in the show notes to help you help yourself and learn what you need to do. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. On today's Medics Money podcast, I'm delighted to welcome... I mean, you're a veteran of the podcast now. Not a veteran in real life, but a veteran of the podcast, Andy, because you've been on loads. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm a veteran in both respects, I think, these days. And now this is on video. You can see I am a veteran, really. But I have been on many podcasts. And the thing we were talking about today, I was actually looked back. It was actually August 2022. I think we recorded an inflation pension issue podcast. So it just seems like well, what's happened to all those months in between? Yeah, yeah. It's just flown by, hasn't it? I think that happens when you get older, I find. Time just flies by. It's true what they say. So just for those that aren't aware, give yourself a quick intro and then I want to get straight into it because we've got a lot to discuss today. Yeah, so my name's Andy Power. I'm one of the healthcare team Mazars. I do accountancy, taxation, pension calculations for GPs and consultants, as do all my team. I'm also a board member on ASMA. I've been a board member there for about five years now. So I have a lot of sort of dealings with the general medical world. Yeah. And today's episode is pretty niche, but really important because we're talking about the pensions consultation that the government have released. And this is really relevant to anyone with NHS pension is really complicated. So I need you to guide us through it. I was going to do a bit of prep reading before the podcast, but I had a podcast before this. And then this morning, the waves were really good. So I actually went for a surf instead of doing the prep. So explain it to me like I haven't done my prep, if that's okay. And then we can get into the questions. Okay. So early December, the government issued some consultation, really, in some amendments it's going to make to the pension scheme. And it was really in response to the many issues that the annual allowance was creating in terms of people retiring early, people reducing sessions, and also a really horrific kind of issue with an inflation mismatch, which particularly for GPs was going to lead to some pretty sizable annual allowance tax charges in 22-23. So they've gone around on about trying to address that. Now, a lot of people have called for changes to the tax regulations because a lot of this, you've got to remember the annual allowance and the lifetime allowance tax stuff is all based in tax legislation and it doesn't just apply to the NHS, it applies to every pension scheme. And that's part of the problem in that 
to actually really resolve the whole problem, you have to change the tax legislation. But the government have approached it in a different way and left the tax legislation untouched, which we'll perhaps touch on later on, and have just gone to make a few modifications to the scheme. And they've really sort of come out with four different changes that they announced early December, two of which are pretty academic, simple things, and two of which are actually more fundamental changes. The academic ones are they've abolished the 16-hour rule, so when you retired and you wanted to come back to work, you could only work 16 hours a week in the first month, and they've got rid of that. To be honest, that was only academic because actually most people, when you told them they could only work 16 hours a week, for the first month after retirement, they just thought, yippee, I'm going on holiday and I'm going to take some time off. So it, you know, most people got around that fairly easily. And the second academic one is they've made some changes to the primary care network rules for GPs. In the, At the moment, primary care network staff can join the NHS pension scheme, but it's kind of by an annual dispensation, they have to keep allowing it. And they've just made that permanent as, so long as certain rules will apply. So it, so it just means that it effectively cements PCNs in the pension legislation, which is useful rather than just hoping that they'll renew every year. So those are the two academic ones. The two fundamental though changes are around the inflation issue and secondly, flexible retirement. So in terms of the flexible retirement side, and this is to try and address the concern that people were retiring to take their pensions because they hit lifetime allowance issues and annual allowance issues. What they're trying to do there is give some flexibility in retirement and allowing people to access their 1995 benefits if they were in the 1995 scheme, but then go back to work and actually carry on contributing to the 2015 scheme. I guess the idea behind that is actually it allows people to partially retire and carry on working and carry on contributing to the schemes and growing their pension. If you do that, it will dampen down the pension growth going forward for any allowance purposes because you're only contributing to one part of the scheme, particularly for consultants. But reality is, I'm not sure how much of an effect that's going to have. At least it's positive in terms of allowing the choice. But a lot of people, when they get to retirement, either want to retire or if they do want to come back to return to work, they retire and quite happy not to contribute any more to their pension scheme. So it's better than nothing. It's also pretty focused on those that are at the end of their career, right? And thinking about retirement and for them, okay, it could be useful, but not really good for mid-career doctors like myself, for example. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, it's very much designed for those people that are coming up in this probably mid to late fifties and thinking about retiring and trying to keep those. And they're an important part of the workforce. It's a lot of senior people, a lot of experience and a lot of people in that bracket. I think something like 25% of GP partners are in the 55 plus bracket. So actually it's a quite big population, but you're quite right. It doesn't address the issue for people that are in their forties, early fifties, even late thirties who are earning well within the NHS now because they've reached GP level or consultant level. And they are still going to be affected. But the other significant change is, is if we go back to that podcast we did in August last year, there was a major problem with an inflation disconnect in the inland revenue allow you an uplift for inflation for annual allowance purposes. And it was one year different from the NHS uplift. So when you get this kind of inflation period we're in at the moment where it's yo-yoing all over the place, it would have led to some very large tax charges, particularly for those in the care scheme, which is an average earnings scheme. So really GPs, again, were more affected than perhaps consultants were in that period. What they've proposed is actually shifting the point that the inflation gets applied to the pension scheme from the 1st of April 2023 to the 6th of April 2023. 
And it doesn't sound like a massive change, really. But what that does is it flips the inflation adjustment over into another tax year. And going forward, then the inflation that the earned revenue allow you versus the inflation the pensions gets adjusted by is the same rate. So it's just going to take that disconnect away. And the positive behind that is, is firstly, it takes inflation out of the equation for the care scheme part. It doesn't for the final salary scheme components. But Secondly, it's going to mean in, in 22, 23, particularly, we have a year where actually the pension for tax purposes doesn't get uplifted. So you're going to have some periods of quite low growth or a period of quite low growth. So it won't resolve the annual allowance issue, but it will bring it down to a level that is, I guess, in some cases, more manageable. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about is what's called CPI disconnect. And as you say, we did a podcast on that back in August. Episode 106 is called The Inflation Problem with Your NHS Pension. Now, Normally of your podcasts, you go really niche stuff. You're not talking about investing, getting rich or do Bitcoin. You go for like actual niche stuff. And so you're not doing so well in the charts. Guess where this year, episode 106 is in the chart of all time most popular episodes. I'll give you a clue. It's not number one. It's not number one. Is it in the top three? Yes. So it'll be third then. Yeah, third most popular podcast of the year. I can't believe it. Like, we must have tons of pension geeks listening to it, but it is really important. And in that episode, you outlined, am I going to say your preferred solution, which wasn't what the government's solution is. So can we talk a bit about the problems with this? Are we calling it a fix? Are we calling it a bodge? I mean, where are we with it? Because Yeah, let's be positive first towards the government in that actually they've tried to fix the inflation issue. And largely, they will do that with this change. They've tried to fix some flexible retirement towards the back end of your career. They've sort of dealt with that. So it is positive. Has it gone far enough? Absolutely not. It won't do. And the most important thing to note here is annual allowance and lifetime allowance, which are the two tax charges we're talking about, have not gone away. The annual allowance is still 40000 And if you start to earn above 200000 you start to get that tapered down. And also the lifetime allowance is currently 1.073 million. And those levels are now fixed for a number of years. So GPs, consultants, even hiring healthcare professionals are going to carry on getting caught by the annual allowance consistently. So it is not going to result for the people that you talked about being yourself, those sort of mid-career people, they are still consistently going to go over the annual allowance if they're at a certain level of earnings and they're still going to have annual allowance tax charges and are still therefore going to look at their workloads and their work-life balance and actually decide maybe I'm not going to work in NHS pension or work because it's just causing me tax charges. And that's the real problem with it. They haven't fixed the underlying problem that's still there. And one of the other issues we did talk about previously is the concept you can actually end up with negative growth and what you do with that. And this is a bit of a weird concept, but actually because of at the moment, the way it sets out is every pension scheme is assessed differently. So the 1995 component and the 2008 component and the 2015 component pension scheme are all deemed as separate schemes for the purpose of this. And you can have situations, and it's less relevant to GPs now, they've changed this inflation fix, but now very relevant to consultants, is where you can end up effectively having negative growth in one part of the scheme, the 1995 scheme particularly, and positive growth in the 2015 scheme. And what will happen at the moment with the legislation is the negative side is deemed as zero. It's not minus, it's just deemed as zero. The positive side is still the same figure. So whilst you may on one side say have negative growth on the five scheme minus 10,000, 
and you may have annual allowance growth in the 15 scheme of plus 50,000. If you were able to offset the two, you'd have growth of 40,000, you'd be okay. You can't. The minus 10,000 is deemed to zero. You're still assessed at 50,000 on the 2015 scheme, 10,000 over the annual allowance limit, a tax charge still to pay. So it's not really based on the overall growth that's being applied to the NHS scheme is looking at each scheme independently. The issue there though, and why do you get this negative growth? You get particularly the negative growth is because the 1995 scheme is still linked to final salaries that people get, even though part of the scheme is now effectively closed, the final salary links retained. And if inflation's running at say 10%, yet pay awards are running at four and a half percent, then actually your pension over time is not keeping up with inflation. So hence you're getting negative growth. So we had said, look, should be looking at this negative growth situation. And when I say we, I'm talking now with my ASMA hat on, not my Mazar's hat on, just let's be clear about that. From an ASMA viewpoint, we'd said, let's look at the negative growth situation backed by the likes of the BMA as well, backed by other organizations. It's not just us saying that, and that's not been done. So there are some, I think you've heard of Tony Goldstone. He's got some videos now online and setting out some really horrific calculations on this, but they are genuine calculations just illustrating. So I think there is some work still to be done on that. The problem with that though, that's not a fix to the pension scheme. Fixing the pension scheme is the easy bit. That will need a fix to the tax legislation. And that's the harder bit because again, it just doesn't affect the NHS. I suspect that's why the government of semi-parked at the moment. So that problem still exists, but also the fundamental problem still exists is annual allowance still exists. It's not gone away. And if you are a GP, maybe working seven sessions and thinking about doing that of hours at the weekend, you really have no flexibility in what's pensionable because it's an all or nothing scheme. So you have to pension all that income and therefore the only way to control your pension growth is to look at what pension earnings you've got and therefore look at what you're working if you want to avoid the annual allowance problem. That's the elephant in the room that we're skirting around here a bit. Is it, If you're a GP or consultant or a doctor looking at this, it's so complicated. And actually, the easy way out, as you said, unfortunately, is to control your pensionable earnings. And one way to do that is to do less work in the NHS and more work outside the NHS, non-pensionable work. Is, I mean, is that the elephant in the room here? Well, that's essentially what's happening. It's not an elephant in the room. Yeah, I think the elephant's fully visible. Over the last few years, we have seen clinicians reduce sessions, be it PAs in, in hospitals or GPs by having to reduce the number of sessions in their practice, also or out of hours work. They are reducing it. And that's also, it's not just solely pension stuff. You've got to remember there are other factors at play here. It's quite tough. I'm sure you will agree to do the job Tommy it's very tough in general practice at the moment it's very tough in in hospitals at the moment so you can I can quite imagine quite easily a scenario is you, your job's really tough you're not particularly enjoying working at the levels you're doing and then you have a further tax charge on top of it it doesn't take an awful lot to make that decision as to what to do which is what's happening what you don't want is people to be dropping out the pension scheme wholesale without taking really good advice because the, as many of your podcasts have gone over the pension scheme is still a very good pension scheme and there's lots of ancillary benefits like your health retirement and benefits in there that you've got to make sure are protected so it's not a case of everyone should pull out the scheme or anything like that. absolutely not but they could make it a lot easier yeah i think that's a really important point the scheme is still for the vast majority of us a great deal it's delayed remuneration as part of your remuneration package heed andy's advice and i always ask you this andy but i think it bears repeating if you could swap your private pension for my NHS pension, would you and why? Absolutely, would swap it. Firstly, the return on investment you get in the NHS scheme is a lot higher than 
I currently get in private scheme. So, you know, to get the kind of pension that you get as a GP on retirement, the amount you have to have invested in a private scheme would be way above the current lifetime allowance levels at the moment. My private scheme is subject to fluctuations in stock markets and investment return. I can assure you my the last year has not been great. It's gone down. It's recovering a bit now, which is good. But and it is always a long-term game, so you should never view things in the short term. The, it, it's not guaranteed. I, I can't sort of guess where I'm going to be at when I actually need to draw those benefits because it depends on investment return. Whereas the NHS is much more is based on income levels and what you've built up over the years. Um, secondly, I have, I have to take ancillary cover. I have to take life cover. I've got to take sickness cover as well. I'm not saying that doctors shouldn't have to take additional cover on top of their NHS side, but there is a fair amount of that within the NHS scheme. Yeah, I'd happily be in the NHS pension scheme if I could join. Certainly if I could join when I started my career, which I mean, I would be in the 1995 scheme for quite a bit of the uh, of the career, then that would be excellent, but I can't. I missed 95 by one year, gutted, but I got some 2008 and uh, yeah, I'm not looking to swap my pension. It's just so complicated. So let's close out then by saying, let's imagine you're a junior doctor, a mid-career doctor, and a doctor approaching retirement, what do they, or what should they think about doing to get their head around this pension and get started? So let's go with junior, I hate the term junior doctors because they're very educated, qualified professionals who are running most of the hospital. But you know, you're a F1, F2, you're not yet CCT'd or you're a junior doctor, whatever that means. Yeah, so early career doctor. Absolutely, they should be in the pension scheme because the Particularly in the 2015 scheme, the way it works is it's based on a career average earnings scheme, which gets what's called dynamized each year and dynamized by inflation. So it's inflation protected plus one and a half percent. So the more you put in the beginning, the bigger it's going to grow by the time you get to the end because it compounds over a long period of time. If you're in that kind of role, your employer is paying your employer contributions. So you're just liable to your employee contributions and you're not going to be at those annual allowance and lifetime allowance levels yet. So you're going to get full tax relief on your contributions. So it, those people, they should be particularly worried about this as it stands affecting them today. Obviously, as they go through their career, it starts to impact on them. Yeah, definitely. And just get a TRS, total award statement, basically every year. Keep an eye on your pension. Learn about your pension. My early years of my career, a bank pound for pound, give me the most pension benefit for the exact reason you just mentioned that. I was paying lower contributions, the amounts compounding for the length of my career, which is yet to be defined, but it's getting on. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. It'll grow. It's a good scheme. If you deal with them with the ones nearer retirement next, well, they will be given more flexibility under this route. So they can look at retiring, carry on to the 2015 scheme, coming back. So they can look through those options. They do need to obviously consider their annual allowance tax charges. They will be impacted by the McLeod rectification process, which is starting to drift through and that's basically anyone that shifted into the 2015 scheme in april 15 through to april 22 will now be pushed back into the schemes they came out of so it's going to change their pension benefits so they're going to have to be mindful of i think very interested in the impacts of that because that will affect them more than anyone lifetime allowance they need to look at but again lots spoken about the lifetime allowance being this sort of horrible tax ideally you wouldn't want to pay it full stop as a tax but actually as a tax it's a tax on growth in pension. And it's one of those nicer problems in life to have. I'll show I shot down by various people saying it's horrific, but actually it means that actually you've at least banked 
good pension at that point in time. And the reminder that the investment return you get once you've reached the allowance is still an investment return. It doesn't, it's not a negative investment return. You're still growing your pension at that point in time. So that group just needs to be mindful. I suspect that group will be more driven by actually what they want to do outside of being a doctor at the moment more than anything. I think to be honest, that still drives decision-making more than pensions does at that level. But it's that middle group. It's the one, you know, your group, your age group, Tommy, slightly older than you and maybe slightly younger than you. I don't know how old you are. I'm sure you're, you're mid-career. They're the ones that actually, I'm frustrated by what the government are doing because actually they're the ones who are actually at the age where they're quite happy working, probably family-wise. They need to be working and earning money. They shouldn't be worrying about restricting what they have to do at the moment or changing their, whether they're working in the NHS versus private versus locuming versus partnership. Yeah, they shouldn't be even having to consider that, but unfortunately they still do. A lot of those people won't, you know, got to be careful with the scare stories out there. Again, examples are often given are always usually quite extreme. So you've got to look at what it means to you. And you are not the example that people get given. You will be different from that. Those kind of people need to take time educating themselves. That doesn't mean you become a pensions expert as well as a medical expert. But actually, you do need to understand some of the core principles, hopefully through your podcasts that people have listened to over the years. A lot of people are beginning to learn a lot more because they are good podcasts by various experts. Just give you an overview. But they should be educating themselves. They should be acknowledging that as it stands at the moment, annual allowance will be an issue for them. Lifetime allowance will be an issue for them. And they need to understand how that impacts on their pension. What they should, though, do is make knee-jerk decisions to pull out reduce sessions, et cetera, without understanding their figures. Yeah, definitely. And I think a big part of the problem is that as doctors, we join the NHS, we know it's going to be hard and challenging conditions, stressful job, but we have like an unwritten psychological contract with the NHS that although all of that applies, we'll be treated fairly, remunerated fairly and taxed in an, in a transparent way. And I think you know, that unwritten psychological contract with NHS is disintegrating before our eyes. You know, the resource limitations are absolutely shocking, like really bad. The taxation is just Byzantine in its complexity. And I just can't sit here and, well, I can because I've got access to the best advisors out there. But let's just imagine I didn't have that. It's just it's so complicated to understand. And, and then you just think, oh, well, there is the other option that we already talked about, the elephant in the room option. So, and the other thing as well is double or triple taxation. like. I get taxed on the annual allowance, fine. Get taxed on the lifetime allowance, okay. I mean, you said it wasn't that bad. You're going to get shot down for that, but I agree. Especially in a pension like the NHS, the way that lifetime allowance is calculated, it's not unfavorable. I'll get shot for that. And then the final thing is I get taxed when the pension is paid, and it's like triple taxation. Yeah, I mean, the, the lifetime allowance bit, I mean, ultimately, it's a political decision. So why I say it's not that bad, it's not that bad from an investment viewpoint. Politically, would I want to pay it? No, absolutely. No one wants to pay tax, but hey, things have got to be paid for. And it's a political decision to basically say that actually, you've got tax relief on all your investments up to a certain point, but actually beyond that point, we're going to start reducing the tax relief effectively you've got. And I can understand that you can't have unlimited tax relief available to everyone, because it will get multiply abused by very wealthy people more than people that are just doing normal day jobs. I can understand that whether you like it or not, I can understand the principle behind that. But actually the annual allowance bit just seems a bit of a tax on work when you're eventually going to get called by the lifetime allowance. So does it matter that you get to the lifetime allowance slightly quicker? I don't think so personally. 
And if that's going to mean more doctors are working in our hospitals and our GP surgeries, then actually that's not really a major problem for me. But clearly the government have taken a political view that they want to cap that as well. They've obviously got to balance the budget, which is proving quite difficult. Unless you're quasi quatang, you can balance it the way you wanted to. But, you know, they've got to balance it. So you can't just have everyone's their own lobby group around reduce tax this, reduce national insurance for this, et cetera, et cetera. Pay me more state pension, pay me more universal credit, et cetera. And everyone's got cases to be made and ultimately they've got a balancing job to do. So it's a political decision. Yeah. And I think mid-career doctors, so as you said, listen to podcasts. There's lots of other good resources out there as well on the pension. It is very complicated. We've even got some great videos on our YouTube video channel now as well. So check that out if you haven't. Get a TRS, a total award statement. Also, can we talk about annual allowance service and pay extract? That's a kind of a newish thing. Still, some people haven't heard about it. I love it. I mean, you were there at the meeting when we had with NHS pensions when it was kind of born. And I'm really happy that it's come to fruition. And Amazing that we kind of contributed to that, but it's underrated uh, annual allowance service and pay extract. And mine came in less than 24 hours. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so this is basically another, I guess it's a spreadsheet really. It actually just details out, I think, the calculations of how they get to where they are. So if you are at that level where you are getting those horrible brown letters, it's a useful thing to have because behind that, it shows you how they got there. And particularly, again, in more for consultants than perhaps GPs, is actually it will show some of the calculations of what pay rates they've used to calculate that. And therefore, through that, you can sort of, there are glaring errors. And there are errors in that system because the pension system relies on employers inputting the right data. And if they input the wrong salary rates, the wrong pensionable overtime rates, the wrong hours worked, it can change the figures quite dramatically, which is why you sometimes occasionally quite amusingly get these annual pension statements which show over 2 million growth in a year because someone's just put the wrong data in. So that's a useful tool to ask for. It's quite interesting. You get it within 24 hours. That's good. So I think, yeah, it's something we will be asking for all of our clients going forward. Now it's available where clients have asked us to check for these things. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the most useful features of it as well is that it shows your service record. So if like me, you're a GP and your TRS is blank because a organization which Sean renamed nameless has messed up your pension record, PCSE, it shows my service records. And so it's a quick check of how that's looking and because it's so frustrating, for, especially for GPs, just being able to get hold of the data itself is a challenge. And this is another massive problem, which we won't talk about today because both of our blood pressures will explode. But yeah, I like the annual allowance service and pay extract. Check it out. I'll put a link in the comments on how to get it. And we've got a video on our YouTube about what it is and more detail about it. Yeah, I mean, anything that gives people more information, that's great. I mean, it's really important for GPs, particularly at the moment, is to try and push to get your records up to date. Now, that is difficult, and the issues with PCSE have been long documented, partly to be fair to them on one side of the equation, because often they, they're always seen as the bad people in all of this. But some of the issues at the moment that why people's pension records aren't being updated is it boils down to something called a GP solo. And GP solo is where you work for an out-of-hours provider or an appraisal service in England, or you worked in for a CCG in one of those sort of roles that are pensionable through the GP system. If those employers, an out-of-hours organization is pretty good. They've been doing this for years. They're usually fine. CCGs, not so good. Um, they didn't really understand, a lot of them didn't really understand the system, so haven't dealt with their pension information. And the appraisal side in England was just an absolute disaster for a few years. And I know recently PCSE have 
received something like 4,000 pension updates going back a number of years for the appraisal side. So to be fair on PCSE, they've got lots of faults and we're not going to go into that. Some of the issues are out of their control because the data's not gone in properly. So somehow it's a bit of a war of attrition. I mean, we do this frequently is trying to get people's stuff up to date. And I, I had to do it for my wife and so my wife's a GP. And it took me three years to get her record up to date. And that was just was a one GP solo difference. And that was it. That was the whole thing holding it up. And yes, it's somehow the system needs to be unlocked because they will not update your pension record if your pension return the three years ago had a difference. Everything else then stops. It's a logjam. That's frustrating. Right. This podcast is over. You said the lifetime allowance wasn't that bad. You just defended PCSE. I don't even know what to say. We're done. But no, I'm joking. I think you're right, of course. And things have got a bit better. I think if you're a GP, get your PCSE portal activated as well. And then you can also see some of your stuff in there as well. So I would do that because you can see which of the missing returns are. And if these are missing returns, not because you haven't submitted them often. It's because they did get lost certainly a couple of years ago. There was a whole year when lots of stuff went, went missing. But you can then see what's missing and potentially... If you've got the data, you can actually input it on the screen and submit it that way. And particularly, for, again, salary GPs, particularly, type two forms, often they're missing from previous employment. You've really got to make an effort to get that up to date. And again, like it's education. No one tells us a salary GP to do a type two form. Like when me and Ed go around and do talks to first five GPs, we're doing loads at the moment, type two forms, we say about doing them. And it's just blank looks. And that's just back to education. So we just need to try to educate our colleagues about this. And yeah, if you're a salary GP and you haven't done a type two form and you're having problems with your pension, that's a reasonable place to sort of start your detective work, I would say. Brilliant. Well, apart from the bit where you defended the indefensible just a minute ago, that was really good, Andy. Thank you so much for your expertise. Really appreciate you contributing to educating everyone via this podcast. It's, it wouldn't be the success that it is without people like you. So um, thanks so much. Are you going to say where to get hold of you or are you, I mean, it's tax return season. So I'm amazed you're even still here. Like you should, are you not getting totally overwhelmed? It is busy at the moment. I can think it's always busy in December. Yeah. That's why you get miserable accountants at Christmas parties because they've got tax returns still to do. Well, certainly I'm always a miserable accountant. Yeah. I'm not sure I should give where to contact me given you've just said I'm going to be shot down on a couple of issues there. But yeah, you can always find me, email me andrew.pow at mazars.co.uk or you can find us via the medics money and twitter and twitter at medic accountants if you want to hear the rants of a however old accountant but also some lovely pictures from the late history beautiful with a bit of snow on the ground it's lovely that's if twitter still exists by the time this podcast goes out because there's interesting things going on there with elon but that's a topic for another day brilliant thanks so much andy i better let you get back to doing tax returns and being a grumpy accountant but thanks so much for your expertise cheerio Thank you.